Heavenly Father, for some of us, it is so difficult to even say those words this morning. We're just saying, Lord, have it all. That means everything. And if we're honest with ourselves, God, there's things that we don't want to give you. Things that we like way too much. Things that we decided to put on the throne of our heart over you. So Holy Spirit, I pray that in only the way that you can, will you begin to reveal those things that we've put before you. Maybe it's just who we are. Maybe it's our relationships, our money, our family. Maybe it's just our job. There's things in our lives, God, that we have placed before you. And we confess those to you now. Father, I pray for those people who are in this room that just don't want anything to do with you. They're mad at you. They're doubting you. They're kicking the tires. Just, I don't know about this, God. I pray, Holy Spirit, that your presence would be felt in their heart that you would just begin to mold them and make them in tune to who you are. Give them an awareness of this awesome creator. Pray for those of us who are walking strong. I pray, God, that your spirit continue to maneuver and massage things to make us look more like your son, Jesus Christ. And God, you know the vision in the heart of Radiant Life is to live like Jesus. I pray that we begin, every single one of us, in all areas of our lives, would resemble your son, Jesus Christ. Because when we do, your message gets spread. And people begin to look at our lives and say, what is so different about you? And that's where we can come in and share his love. Let me tell you about an awesome God. It's not perfect. I'm not perfect in any way. But there's a God that loves you and let me share. Father, be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. All together said, amen. Hey, high five two people around you real quick. Well, good morning. Good to see everyone here. My name is Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here at Radiant Life Church, and we got a packed house today, this morning, which is awesome. If you're a first-time guest, welcome to Radiant Life. You're going to get a little different feel this morning. We got a little different uh, teaching this morning than normal. Norm Did I say that right? Did I say that normally? Normal? Normal? All right. Too much coffee this morning. <laughs> uh, but we're going to walk through some stories. We're in a teaching series titled... Getting Naked, Real People, Real Stories. And in week one, we launched uh, a series. In week one, we looked at shame. We talked about shame is a liar, shame is toxic. And we looked at what that does in our lives and how just destructive shame is. We looked at the story of Adam and Eve. And when they got naked and they disobeyed God, they began to cover everything up. And that's exactly what you and I do when we feel shame. When we feel embarrassed and pain, we begin to cover it all up, shove it in the closet, and make sure no one sees it. But we uncover the truth is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, Adam and Eve got clothed by God. 
And in order to get clothed by God, what they had to do is they had to get naked once again before God and allow God to clothe him. And that's what we got to do. We got to get naked before God. Say, God, I need this grace. I need this love. I need this mercy more than anything else. I'm confessing to you what happened. I don't like it. I'm embarrassed. There's shame. But I'm giving everything to you. Last week, Pastor Josh, our student ministries pastor, talked about doubt. Week one, you heard Pastor Patricia's story on shame. Week two, as Pastor Josh unpacked doubt and how wrestling with doubt can actually grow our faith. You heard my video testimony of doubting when I was in college. When I went through a lot of deaths in my life, college, and my college roommate got killed in a car accident and uh, just began to doubt the goodness of God. I couldn't worship him anymore. Um, just like, God, what, man, if this is real, you've got to show up. You've got to show up. So this is a series that we're on that just begins to unpack some of our nakedness, some of the stories that we want to just shove in the closet and hide and not let anyone know about these things in our lives. But I think if we're going to share anything, it ought to be within the church. This ought to be the safest place to share anything. And some of you have been burnt in the past with bad church experience. Gossip has spread and they just took privacy and ran with it and destroyed everything that you thought you entrusted in them. Know this, we need to break that. This ought to be the safest place to tell our stories. Because get this, your story is God's story. It's God's story. It can set people free. This morning we're going to look at relationships. And, we're going to, and I'm going to invite two couples up in a, in a moment. But I want you to say this. Say, repeat after me. People are messy. Relationships are difficult. All right, now turn to the person on your right and say, people are messy. Turn to the person on your left, say, relationships are difficult. Now, how many of you did not know what way your right and left is? Because I saw heads going both ways every time. We live in a world that wants to portray our lives as flawless perfection. You're supposed to show up at job flawless. Don't tell me about your hurts and pains. You're supposed to look the part. We're supposed to come into church every week, churches across America, and we put on masks to say, how are you doing? Oh, things are fine. When you just had an entire argument with your spouse all the way here. Things aren't fine. But we hide behind things. And this is what we want to get to in the heart of this series, is to realize that we are a church and God can use your story to impact other people. So this morning, as we dive into week three about relationships, I want to bring up the Carries, Jeff and Pam, and the Northrups, Dave and Lori, up on stage. And we're going to hear some of their testimony, some of their story as we look at relationships. And I realize for some of us, we're like, well, I'm not in a relationship. This is across the board relationships. This is with family members, friends, coworkers, whatever it could be. And if you're single here this morning, you're like, I'm not even looking for a relationship. I will tell you, this is a great place to look for a relationship. Okay. I don't know what I meant by that, but it just came out. <clears throat> so all the single ladies, will you please throw out your hair? No. We don't. Uh, but listen, if you're single, you're not even thinking about relationship, this is for you. I want to speak to teens real quick. Teens, become the person you would want to marry. Become the person now you would want to marry. Because you will never find hope in another person. 
Because people are sinners and we're, we've got imperfections. Listen, you will only find hope in Jesus Christ. It is not in humanity. We're broken. But our hope is found in Jesus Christ. All right, couples, what's up? Are you guys less nervous this round or more? A little less? No, still the same? Still the same feeling? All right. <laughs> I only get nervous when people keep asking me that. Good. Golly, praise team. <laughs> Always in my way. Hey, sorry, JB. Sorry. Um, so we're just going to have a conversation this morning. Again, uh, this morning is going to look totally different than usual. And um, this couple here on your left, Jeff and Pam, have a different story than the couple on your right do Dave and Lori. But I'm going to start here and allow Jeff and Pam to begin to share their story um, and I, yeah, just take it away. Well, my story is of divorce. Um, I met my ex-wife at college. Uh, we lived across the hallway from each other in an apartment complex. Um, and when college was coming to an end, I thought uh, the next step should be marriage. And so, in, in my eyes, my plan was we're going to get married. So. Um, we did, because um, it only made sense. Uh, we, we got married, and we were living in Three Rivers, where I had my first teaching position. All seemed well, and, and it was fitting into my plan. Um, we continued to live the, the college lifestyle that we had started our relationship out on. Um, one of partying, uh, we, we couldn't wait for the weekend to, to come so that we could you know, head, head back up to Kalamazoo and go to, go to the uh, places that we used to go to in college. And uh, then one day I came home from work, it was during the week, came home from work and uh, she said we need to talk and you know that's the, the alarming thing, we need to talk. So I sat down and we were talking and and she told me, she said, um, I'm going to move up to um, Petoskey, uh, Indian River area. That's where her mother lived. That's about five hours away. And she said, I'm, I'm going to move up there with or without you. And I just remember thinking, uh, this is not part of my plan. Um, I was absolutely devastated in, in many ways, um, not knowing what to do. Uh, not wanting to, to turn to people because I didn't want people to know that, um, that we were struggling like that because, you know, in my eyes, we're supposed to have the, the perfect marriage. And um, we did go to counseling. Uh, counseling, uh, um, I uh, believe, did not help us. They only encouraged us to separate and, and go our, our separate ways and try and figure that out on, on our own. Um, so she moved up to Petoskey, and um, so I spent about a summer um, driving back and forth to Petoskey area every weekend, um, and uh, those were long five-hour drives by yourself, thinking, wondering what, what to expect when you when you get there. And um, then there one weekend, I decided, okay, I, I'm going to do it. I packed the car, um, 
I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to move up there, and you know, I'm going I'm to make this marriage work. And um, you know, part of that meant leaving my family behind, which many of you may know. You know my family's very close knit, um, and I can't imagine not having them in my life. But I was willing. I, you know, here I, I I'm married, that, and I'm supposed to be with her. So here I go, and we. Uh, so I moved. I went up there. I remember getting out of the car, walking in, and and saying, here I am, and uh, you know, I, I told her, I'm, I'm here to stay, let's, let's get it figured out, and she said, no, I don't, I don't think that's going to be enough, and, uh, and so, you know, we talked for a little bit, and probably within the hour, I was back in the car, headed home, uh, I remember grabbing a 12-pack of beer, and, and headed down the road, and, you know, almost, almost to the point where I was hoping something would happen, you know, to me on the way home, whether it be accident or um, get pulled over. And in that hope, I was, I was hoping that maybe she would uh, care a little bit more and, and want to make things work. Um, but I ended up pulling over, staying at a hotel that night, very long, lonely night. Um, and... That, that seemed to, uh, that, that's basically what it was. I, I remember uh, going home and, and a couple months later, you know, after ha having all these feelings of being devastated and ashamed, and, and uh, a couple months later I get served with the papers and, and uh, the, the marriage was over. Uh, we, uh, we never really sp uh, spoke since then. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of Kind of my story. All right. Oh, wait. Briefly, if you don't know Jeff and Pam, Jeff is not talking about Pam in his story. <laughs> Pam will not be talking about Jeff and her story. Correct. Just to clarify. All right. My story. My story. Um, so I grew up in church, um, you know, my entire life. Uh, I started dating my ex-husband in high school. And I went off to college, I went to Bethel, he went off to another college. Um, we, before we went off to college, we attended church together. Um, but once we got into college, that kind of went away a little bit. I was going to chapel three times a week at Bethel, then I'd go home on the weekends, and, you know, he really wasn't going to church, so I just wouldn't go to church really either. Um, got engaged my senior year at Bethel. We did the premarital counseling thing. Um, kind of thought we were doing all the right things that we were supposed to do. And that summer that I graduated, we got married. The day before we got married, bless you. Bless you. The day before we got married, he had a job interview at a really nice um, factory here in the county that pays really well, and, and things were just really looking up for us. He got the job he was going to start when we got back from our honeymoon. Um, so we get back from the honeymoon, starts the job. Fast forward about six months into the marriage, and now we have um, excessive drinking. He's drinking a lot. He's going out with his friends. He worked second shift. Wouldn't come home. Um, started having an affair. You know, here I am, you know, newly married six months in and dealing with, with an affair and excessive drinking, a husband not coming home. Um, and I kind of kept that all to myself. I didn't really want to tell anybody because I didn't want them to not like him. Um, I didn't want him to get upset with me for telling people 
And I certainly didn't want to acknowledge that there was a problem because if I told people, that made the problem real. So you thought in the midst of that, like you were protecting him by not sharing that, right? Because yes. yes. you were just fearful that if I should begin to share what my husband is doing, people are not just going to like them. They may right. treat him differently. Right. Oh, wow. Right. And I still very much so wanted the marriage to work. I went into the marriage not believing in divorce. I will not get a divorce. That's not what we do. That's not what my family does. That's not what I believe. Um, so I suffered a lot alone. I turned to God and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. That was the only time I found peace during that whole situation. I would pray on my lunch hours and cry and I, he would go out with his friends and I would stay at home and I would pray and I would cry and I wore out my um, Power of a Praying Wife book like it's falling apart. You know, I had prayers memorized. I mean, I, I didn't know what else to do. Um, fast forward a couple months from that. He um, suffered a medical situation, and it kind of was a wake-up call for him. I felt like God's answered my prayers. You know, things are changing. He ended this relationship with this person that I knew he had. He knew, he knew I knew he had, but we never actually discussed because, again, if I acknowledge it, it makes it even more real. Um, he went back to work. The drinking started again. The relationships with another co-worker started again and, and maybe other people I don't actually necessarily know that for sure beyond that um, but still I convinced myself that I was happy that this is in my mind what my plans were for my life and this you know I was going to make it work and I was going to continue to pray for him and he came home one night after going out with his dad and said I'm not happy I want a divorce <laughs> and my world was rocked I, I am one that I've spent my whole life trying to be perfect, trying to do the right thing, um, trying to be in control of my life, and I had no choice in this situation. It was, it was done. And no matter what I did, it was done. Um, and that was really hard for me. So, um, yeah, that's my story. We have Jeff and Pam over here that both previous married both went through a divorce. Both didn't want the divorce. Both, <laughs> it's not in our plan. Um, never envisioned divorce ever in my future. That's their story. We have a different story on this side with Dave and Lori. For ours, it was, uh, goes back a few years and um, we're not as messed up. We didn't have any problems. We're all perfect. <laughs> he just threw you under the bus. And it probably backed up again. Yeah. Well, you're going to hear more than you say, no, I, I'm, I'm going with Jeff and Pam on this one. Um, when we got married, one of, our, um, one of my biggest concerns was divorce. Everybody in my family, I don't remember anybody in my family that has ever been married that did not end in divorce. So that was a big issue to me. And uh, before we got married, um, our decision was um, divorce, no, homicide, maybe. So... That's, that's where we came from. Um, I was on my way to, that's not literal for the Metzger family here. I see you're whispering to him. Yes. Um, hey, don't tweet that on social media either. <laughs> hey, do you know what Dave Northrup said? I was getting ready for work one day, and I got a call from uh, a gunnery sergeant, and he said, hey, did you get a gear license this year? And I said, yes, I did. And he said, why don't you get it to me since you're going to the golf? All right, Marine Corps has that little option. You contract that they can call you up. So they did. Um, Lori was uh, 
a solid nine months pregnant with Kelly. Um, she's about ready to come out, and Josh is a little under two years old and full of uh, um, energy all over the place. And uh, now I'm a platoon sergeant for a combat engineer unit that uh, is being deployed. Um, the jobs that we did were um, advanced base clearing, um, trench clearing, and uh, locate and remove booby traps. So when I make the comment is that if somebody makes a mistake, somebody dies, isn't something from a TV show. It's not something that people laugh about and joke about, it's true. If you make a mistake, people die. And so that's where I was at, that was my job, and that's what I had done. Um, back at home, I had taken, uh, left the police department, um, took a 52% pay cut. Um, Lori, again, uh, nine months pregnant, um, a per diem nurse at the hospital, uh, takes a 100% pay cut because she is now uh, uh, having our baby. Um, so, to me, that was more of a stress than anything else. If you want to shoot at me, and I've had people shoot at me, and if you want to kill me, and people want to kill me, I'm fine with that. I really struggled with um, everything back at home, and that was my biggest concern. Um, war's over. Um, we're coming back. Uh, one of my Marine, my fire team leaders, um, has had some personal problems at home. He comes home to find out that he can no longer have custody of his child. His, his wife took care of that while he was gone. He takes him to the park, puts a 22 around through his son's head, and um, shoots himself twice in the head and, uh, with a uh, bolt-action rifle. Um, so um, we have that. I come back and uh, since I've been gone for a while, I said, hey, you're great for the drug unit. So I pop into the drug unit and work uh, 60 to 80 hours a week. So that's my life in, in summary. I get home, I have that little child bouncing around all over the place and the new daughter that I met. Um, she was uh, six months old when I first met her. And um, when I tell you to do something, you do it, you do it now, and you do it how I told you, no questions asked. If not, then the mean babe comes out and we take care of business right now. And that's just what I was used to, and that's what I brought home. So, that's a picture of my house. Um, my story is really one of God's faithfulness. Um. <clears throat> Um, in the little things. God knew, and I know all that. And the best thing for me was a baby. I grew with her and he left. He wanted to leave her. That brought me a sense of calm. There's nothing better than having a newborn baby in your arms. Um, at night, when my mother-in-law was up watching the news, it's sleeping. I'm getting up to nurse the baby, and, um, Money was tight, and people were really safe with me, and great neighbors, and people in the church that helped me, and, and some of the littlest things meant the most to me. 
Um, I shared in first service. I don't know if Dwayne's here. He's with me a second. But he came and fixed my boxes in my tub. It was dripping and dripping and dripping. I had a newborn and a two-year-old running around. And he was little things and it was huge. And people did that a lot. Um, that also gave me a peace many times that he was physically safe. And he brought me home. I didn't bring this in now. And um, it was so hard to make him understand that Josh was two, and if he would give him a chance to respond, he would obey. But he was not a Marine, and he needed to be given that opportunity. Um, and it was easier for him to just go to work. And the, there was a day that he was getting ready to walk out the door and ask if he should trust me. And my answer was that we had decided that divorce was not an option. People had carried the gun, so you know the other part of the story. <laughs> um, and that we were going to be miserable for a while until we figured it out. And we were miserable for a while until we figured it out. And my first glimmer of hope was months later. He came back in the end of April. And it was July, and we founded the Balloon Festival in Battle Creek. And I was did. I was in the program. He's meeting up with a bunch of his Marine buddies. Um, and he felt like a fifth year. He saw it. He saw that he had never incorporated himself back into the family. He wasn't a part of our unit. Um, and that was my, that was my first year of hope. So here you have just two completely different stories, ones that are now married, remarried, um, have gone through the painful journey of divorce like many of, of you have. On the flip side, we have a couple that um, came to a crossroads, Dave, that's your word and I love that, came to the crossroads of, um, if it's either we're, we're getting divorced or misery lies ahead and we're going to stick this thing out. Um, and then understanding at that balloon festival, I'm the fifth wheel. Um, Everybody struggled with it. You know, many of you know me as I did. But we've known each other for a long time and you don't really know a lot about me. You know that I like you know, um, but the only reason I'm up here today, other than Ryan on my head doing the evidence of the pastor, is that there was somebody that came to me that was struggling in their marriage and made the comment to me um, that um, I wouldn't know that, implying that my life was perfect and I wouldn't know. One of the struggles is just to let me know how bad it is, and I don't want to tell anybody this. And I struggled with it, and I was over there sitting on the bench. And I said, "Somebody's and God's told me somebody's got to hear this." Here, every day when I get what would get ready for work, the policeman, you know, I check the weapon, make sure that the, there's a round chamber. I remember switching over from looking at round chambers, just looking down the barrel, 
and his fight so often. If this just accidentally goes off, I wasn't going to hold it together. If this accidentally goes off, I don't care. I don't care. And so, I'll bust your chops about your life. <laughs> but people who think that our life is perfect and not doing it's easy, it isn't. And I think that there are people out there that are going through the same thing. That you're at that spot where you just don't care if you live or if you die. Um, and um, there doesn't seem to be a normal hope. Right now, you and my close friends are the only ones other than Ryan found out about that Wednesday and Lori found out about that Wednesday. He is good. Um, we may look at people think that you're in a good spot, and they're not. And uh, I don't want to be up here. I told you earlier, yeah, I'd rather be buff naked sitting up here. And we're all thankful he chose the other, right? <laughs> now you have, here's the bad thing. Now you have a horrible mental image of Dave sitting up here right now. Or is it? <laughs> so it's just that, that, you know, so, and I know your next question can be, so how do you get from that spot to where you are now? And, um, and it was at that point when I found out that I was a fifth wheel family, I was not there, I didn't belong, but there was the problem with me, not my wife or my family, not Josh, two years old, that wasn't listening when I gave him an order. And uh, when I expected that to be done, that was it me. And uh, through that whole time, uh, we had a church body and we had a small group and had my friends and my family that all surrounded us. We didn't have a clue what was going on. But that to me was uh, a gift from God that allowed us to fight the fight that needed to be fought. And uh, yeah, that's still my struggle today, but that's also um, the thing that God told me. He said, you have a choice. Either you're going to fight or you're going to run, you have a choice. But you have to live with that decision. And he put people around us. Um, our small group now, they've been playing like crazy for us. And uh, um, we've enjoyed each other's company. Uh, we've talked about these 10 30 during this time. I like it 10 30 at night. She's always been to the bed. she come up to me and say, hey, uh, we need to talk. I don't want to talk to her. I hate 10 30 conversations. And uh, we had one last night. Um, <laughs> I said, is this another... And you're still sitting next to each other, which is good. Well, it's better. Because <laughs> God has worked through that with us. Our, our friends and family and our family and church body here has been with us. And we're in a totally different position. So he laughed and I So are we talking again at 10.30? Yes. But before it was because the kids were finally in bed and we could talk. Now it's because we want to talk. Jumping back to Jeff and Pam, initial feelings of divorce. It's not in your plan. Uh, all of a sudden, you hear your spouse talking divorce. The papers come. You sign them. Just initial feeling of, man, I, am I really getting divorced? Uh, well, my initial feeling was like somebody had hit me with a vehicle. You know, I felt like uh, my life was over, hopeless, absolutely hopeless. Um, could not see a future beyond 
what I was living in, what I was existing in at that very moment. Um, devastated, felt betrayed, um, especially through the divorce process. As I, you know, you hear people talking about you, and you have to move beyond that because there's not much you can do about that. Um, you know, all the plans were gone. You know, I, uh, I remember being at such a dark spot in my life that I remember driving down the road and thinking, what if I just drove my tree, my car into a tree? You know, like that would just, that might just make it easier, you know? Um, but at the same time, I was finding peace. Um, I had praise music going in my car. I was continuing to pray. You know, I was fighting this battle of trying to draw closer to God, but at the same time feeling so hopeless and devastated and betrayed um, that it almost seemed easier just to drive my car into a tree. Extreme guilt, ashamed. <clears throat> ashamed. Um, I, I didn't want to become a statistic. You know, I, I, my family didn't know divorce. I, I didn't want to um, um, bring shame on my family as far as uh, having them look bad upon me. I didn't want uh, other people to look bad upon me. Um, it was uh, just a, a feeling of I let people down. I let my ex-wife down, I let myself down, I let my family down, and, you know, my plan um, did not work out. Um, and here I was thinking, you know, I'm never going to be married, never going to have kids, which, I, you know me, I love kids, and I just, I thought, oh man, it, it's, it's all not good now, so shame and guilt and a lot, lot, of, lot of bad feelings. What's interesting is bo both couples, um, Dave, you shared you went to a dark place and Pam, you just shared a dark place that you went into. You know, it's interesting, we come in on Sunday morning and worship together, but you have no idea what's happening in the life of the person sitting right next to you. They would just cover up. Um, What's different about this relationship than your, than your previous marriages? What's different now? Um, I, I know a lot of you are sitting there thinking, well, I know what, what they're going to say. God's in, in their relationship, but, but He is. He truly is. Um, you know, we, uh, myself, um, it, God has been our, in our relationship since the beginning. Um, when Pam and I started dating, uh, I talked to her about I didn't have a Bible that I really liked reading. And within uh, the next week, um, she had purchased me a Bible, the Quest. And um, so, you know, God, God has been a part of our relationship, but I can tell you that um, in our relationship for about six years, in our marriage, in about six years, I was trying to keep that same um, mold that I had before as far as uh, partying and going out on the weekends, and, but she didn't really want anything to do with it, thank, thank God. Um, so about four years ago, I, um, I had an awakening, a spiritual awakening, and realized that, hey, 
um, I need to step up as, as the man of the household. It, it's my job to lead my family, my wife, to heaven. And, uh, and that was a huge awakening for me. And so I don't have those desires. Um, say I don't have them. They, they, they creep in there from time to time. But um, God, God helps me through that battle. That's the difference. God is the center of our relationship. And I was, I was sharing with the Carries on, on Wednesday night uh, with them. Uh, my wife and I don't have the perfect marriage either, either. We have our struggles. We have our moments where the crossroads. Man, it's so easier to go this way right now. Um, but my prayer when I pray with my wife is first and foremost, Jesus being the center of our lives. First and foremost, it's us. You got to Jesus being the center of our lives. And I moved the prayer, Jesus being the center of our marriage. And then from the marriage, I said, Jesus, now please be in the center of our family. But it's going to start with you first. You cannot change someone. Only the Holy Spirit can. It has to start with you. All right, 90 seconds. Any last advice that you want to speak truth to anyone out there? You cut me off in the first service. <laughs> you know, I, I, um, I've been working through some anxiety myself. I mean, getting naked again, that's one of my struggles. And it's really been speaking to me and through the divorce process and everything. Is, um, one thing that I really feel like God wants people to know is that when you're struggling with anything, whether it be something in a marriage, anything in general, is to not isolate yourself. I think we tend to get ashamed, we tend to get embarrassed, and we retreat into ourselves. We don't tell people. And when we isolate ourselves, the enemy starts having a field day with us, starts lying to us. We start believing those lies because we don't have anybody to fact check us. Um, my, my advice is to get out there, to surround yourself with people that um, have a relationship with God, that can speak truth and life into your own life. Um, that can say, that's the devil. You know, that is not something that God wants you, that, that God believes about you and that you should be thinking. Um, you know, get into church, get into the small groups, praise music, you know, all of those things. Just don't retreat and don't isolate yourself because, again, we're all just a big bunch of messes and we've all dealt with... Speak for yourself! <laughs> We've just all dealt with so many different things that we don't have to come in here and pretend like we're perfect. There's other people in the church that have dealt with, with what you're dealing with and you need to reach out um, and, and be a part of a community. God did not create us to live alone in an isolation, but to be part of a community. Absolutely. say that when God in his word says that he will never leave us or forsake us, he means it. He's faithful. There were so many little things when he was faithful to me. I shared in first service um, a day I put kids in the doctor and came home with a hundred dollar bill. I put aside the money for Kelly's appointment and had to take Josh to and went to bed and cried myself sleep. And the next morning in the mail, there was a and things like that happened a lot. So as we struggled, um, I could remember the things that God had done, all the little things, the way that He had been faithful. I had to choose to remember them. 
how would they choose to remember them? Um, Did you have to look at Dave to understand? <laughs> like, did you catch that moment, though? Um. Can we thank the Northrop's and Carrie for sharing their story with us? Thanks, appreciate it. Praise team, you guys can make your way up this morning. I want you to leave you with this one scripture. It says this, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you. For my, what friends? For my power is made perfect in your weakness. So often in times we are messy, we are weak, and we run to things. Jeff says, I sat there and I ran after my wife was going, saying, hey, we're going to go through a divorce. Jeff says, I, what did he run? Did you catch that? I bought a 12-pack of beer. Just to cope with it. There are things that we run to when we struggle, whether it's relationships or addictions or just our life at home and work, whatever it is. But Jesus, listen, it's in your weakness that Jesus says, it's my power is made perfect. So run to him. Run to him. I want you to know this, that there's hope. It doesn't mean if you are married and your marriage is going through problems right now, it doesn't mean it's going to work out. There's hope. Why? Because we have hope in Jesus Christ. It's not in my partner. It's not in the person that I'm seeking. I don't find my identity there. If it is, I'm broken and I'm going to be lost. My identity is in Jesus Christ and with Jesus comes hope. It's everything that we face. And I want you to leave with this. It's out of our mess. Jesus brings his message. That's what this whole series is about. about that we are not perfect and come here every Sunday and put masks on I imagine Jesus in heaven is saying it's not what I thought church was going to be it's for people who are supposed to be my hands and feet supposed to spur one another on why are they hiding but your story can be a light to someone who's in absolute darkness right now. My question is, are you willing to run into the mess and allow Jesus' power to be made perfect in your weakness? Or are you going to run to everything else the world has to offer? It's up to you. 
At this time, the ushers are going to come forward. It's a great time to grab that connection card and drop it off in the offering plate. You filled that out. If you're a first-time guest, you can take that connection card, as Pastor Patricia said, to Radiant Cafe, and beverages are on us as a token of appreciation. And for those of you that call Radiant Life your church home, this is a time for us to give and return back to what God has blessed us, to further His kingdom here and beyond. Another life surrendered to Jesus this past week. And I tell you, I have great joy changing those numbers on that back wall. It's wonderful. So thank you for your faithful giving and where we are as a church body. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to sing one last song. God is able. God is able to work in our weakness because it's his power that's made perfect in our weakness. And then as the plate gets passed, will you please stand, and we'll close with the one final song. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the Northrups. We thank you for the Carries and their story. All throughout Scripture, in the Older Testament specifically, we see altars all the time being built as remembrance of things that you've done. And God, I think our modern day altars are our stories in the power that you've worked through. God, you love the divorce. I mean, you love everyone. Those that have walked through the painful divorce, those who are struggling marriages, those that who are in that what they believe the perfect marriage. God, you love them all. May they know that this church loves them too. And we just want to live like Jesus Christ in everything that we do. So Father, give us the courage and strength to look at our mess and say, God, who is it in my sphere of influence that needs to hear your message of what I've gone through in my life? Father, may your kingdom grow through this offering. May we see more lives changed for Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.